Well, good morning, new community. How are we today? Pretty good. All right, we are uh, <clears throat> continuing on in the book of Colossians. Uh, we started this in the beginning of January. We'll continue through uh, here for uh, the foreseeable future. Uh, but after our first two talks, uh, it's pretty clear to see that Colossians is in full intro mode. So Paul is, uh, like he does in most of his letters, is giving a lengthy introduction and we've studied the first eight verses thus far. And really what the eight first verses have done is remind the church of who they are and what they have done well. And in a similar way, as we've studied these verses, we have been able to read ourselves into the text and be reminded of who we are and what we have done well as a church community. And up until this point, the book has not really contained rebuke or it's not contained instruction to do certain things. It's been primarily an affirmation of the people that Paul is writing to. But this morning, the text shifts a little to begin to express Paul's prayed desire for the church. So we're going to be just in verse number nine. That's really all we're studying this morning. And I actually think this is one of the first places we can begin to draw out some instruction as to what Paul is inviting the church into. So with that said, let me pray and then uh, we'll read our text for the morning and uh, we'll get on our way here. God, be with us today. We ask for uh, your presence here in this place. We pray, uh, Spirit, that you would be active and real, that you would encourage where we need encouragement, that you would convict where we need conviction. Lord, allow us as a people just to be present in this space and in this time. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for giving us life and breath. Be with us this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Colossians 1.9 says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So you read verse nine, and the first question has to be, why this prayer, right? Why is the knowledge of God's will Paul's first desire for the church in Colossae? He could have prayed for many different things. He could have prayed for protection. He could have prayed for perseverance in their work. He could have prayed that God would uh, add to their number daily. Certainly there are any number of things that Paul could have prayed for the church in this time. But considering the fact that we're still kind of in this introduction, I think rather than praying for something specific or like a contextual need for that people in that time, Paul prays something more foundational something at the core of our being as created and loved people. For Paul to be filled with this knowledge would mean knowing God. It would mean living according to his purposes for our life. 
or for the life of that church. We see him pray something similar to the church in Ephesus when he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul here again asking for a spirit of wisdom and that God would be revealed or would be made known and that their hearts would know the hope and the inheritance in which they're called to. Their hearts would know what it means to walk in his ways. We see Paul again pray something similar in Philippians 1, 9 through 11. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, asking that their knowledge, that their discernment of all that is excellent may abound, that they may know how to live and that their lives would display the divine fruit that comes through Christ. Each of these prayers that we see, and specifically the text that we're looking at this morning, Colossians 1.9, is what I call a bedrock prayer. It's intended to speak to the very center of existence. It's intended to speak to that which all of life should be built upon. He is praying for others to know God and to follow God. I believe Paul starts with this prayer for the foundation and of uh, for the foundation in Colossae, because if it does not exist, then nothing else in the letter in the letter really matters, right? If this foundation is not there, all of the stuff that comes after this doesn't really matter. To know God and His will for our lives is the greatest goal, the greatest responsibility as disciples. There is nothing more foundational than this pursuit in our lives to know God and follow his will. A.W. Tozer famously says this about God's will. I am thy servant to do thy will. And that will is sweeter to me than position or riches or fame. And I choose it above all things on earth or in heaven. To choose this above all things is our foundational responsibility. And those that seek to live into this responsibility, I believe, are able to build their lives on that which lasts. Now, as we're reading this, as we're talking about this idea of foundation, I'm immediately reminded about Matthew 7, the parable that Jesus gives you in verses 24 through 27, where he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. 
About five years ago, my sister and brother-in-law built their dream home in a place called Wandermere Estates. So Wandermere Estates is out north, uh, and it overlooks the Wandermere uh, Golf Course. So if you go past the Y, uh, it's, it's right there up on your right-hand side as you're driving north. And this new development boasted incredible views and beautiful, beautiful homes. They had uh, a, a few neighbors, uh, and specifically if you were looking at their house, uh, neighbors that were on the left-hand side, two different houses that had been built around that same time. And about a year after they had been in their home, their next-door neighbor came over to speak to them about a rather large crack that he had recently seen in his basement foundation. And over the course of the next weeks and months, that crack began to grow, and their back deck began to detach from their house. And soon enough, that crack opened more, and literally this house began to split down the middle and slide down this hill. The city came in and eventually deemed the house unlivable. This couple had to move out and move actually in with their daughter in Seattle. And certainly the lawsuits began to come, and, and, and after a year or so of this saga, the house, both of these neighbors' house, actually had to be dismantled and taken off of the hillside. And the entire foundation had to be taken out of the hillside and taken away because they were sliding down this entire hill. This is Jesus' parable in real life, right? It speaks to this idea in Colossians 1.9. The foundation of the house was rush, rushed, and the ground it was built on was not solid. And so the house, as it began to be filled with people and things, could no longer support the weight. Now, the house didn't just slide down in one day, but instead, cracks began to appear as indicators of the bigger problem, and this house slowly erodes over time. Paul is praying that our foundation, the very center of our lives, is fixed on bedrock the bedrock of knowing and living his will. Because a life built on anything else is unstable. Now, verse 9, in this way, I believe is pretty straightforward, right? There's not much up for debate. To conclude that knowing God's will should be foundational in our lives is pretty tough to argue with. But as I have sat with this prayer... I keep coming back to one idea, the fact that Paul prays for others to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. The word used here for filling carries the idea of to make complete, to render perfect, or to make abounding. So therefore, we can extrapolate the more that we are filled with the knowing of God's will, the closer we move toward becoming complete. The more we are filled, the better able we are to orient our lives toward further perfection. The more we are filled, the greater we are able to experience the abundance of joy and peace and grace and mercy and love that God has for us. Now, of course, this is not something that we just work to achieve. We can't earn our way toward knowing God's will. And this is the reason that Paul prays it for the church. It's the reason I believe he would pray it for us individually. Because God is the one who fills. He is the only one 
who fills us with the knowledge of his will. It's a movement of the spirit to impart this knowledge in our lives. However, if you imagine your life, your very person, as made by the hands of the potter, which Romans speaks of, then we are, as Second Timothy concludes, vessels for honorable use. Given that we are called vessels, imagine your life being filled by the Spirit with the knowledge of God's will. The act of filling is the work of God, but the space you have to be filled, I believe, is our work. And this is the unspoken instruction that lies in this prayer. Over the last 15 years of my life, one of my greatest passions has become mountaineering. And now with uh, my young family, it's backpacking. Passion started with a trip that I took into the coastal range of BC through uh, a program of, of Young Life, which is a nonprofit ministry, one that we are actually partnered with here. Uh, but it's called the Beyond Malibu program. And so they take uh, groups from cities in and around uh, the United States and, and Canada, and they take them into the mountains for a uh, five-day mountaineering, backpacking, discipleship adventure. And I, I had the privilege of taking six uh, high school guys from Coeur d'Alene on a Beyond Malibu trip. The first night is spent in base camp. So you uh, go through a series of ferries and boats, and it takes a long time to get there. Once you're there, it's spent in base camp, and really that whole night is kind of giving towards uh, an orientation of uh, trip logistics and now packing for five days in the mountains. Being my first real multi-day trip, I came over-prepared and significantly overpacked. right? Having to use most of my weight I would shove all of my contents into my backpack just so I could get it all the way zipped to the top. This thing probably weighed 70 pounds at this point. One of my guides, who uh, was about uh, seven years younger than me at this point, is like a uh, bearded, uh, like scraggly little kid, probably 19 years old. <clears throat> discreetly leans over and encourages me to offload some of my stuff and leave it as, at base camp. Taking this as a personal affront to my manhood, I exclaimed that I would have no problem carrying my own stuff. Thank you very much. But he uh, certainly had seen this a number of times before, and he gracefully exclaimed that he was not worried about my abilities but more concerned with the free space that I had in my backpack in case one of my campers, one of these six guys, high school-aged guys that I brought, could not carry the stuff that was in their backpack. He said, if you leave space in your backpack, then you have room to help carry the load or the burden of somebody else's weight during the trip. I obliged, and I took out all of the non-essentials and unnecessary that I had in my backpack at this point. And sure enough, within about the first hour of the first day, <laughs> packs were off, and I was now carrying an extra meal and the set of pots originally given to the <laughs> campers that I had brought. But that would have never been possible had I not intentionally created space in my backpack before we left. I think the same principle is true in our own lives, in the here and now. How can we be expected to be filled 
with the knowledge of God's will if we have no space in our lives. Now, I wouldn't be a real pastor unless I took this opportunity to use the tried and true illustration of the jug in the water, right? <laughs> I have never used this. This is my first time. I am so happy after 10 years of being a pastor. I will say I've made it a little bit more contemporary because uh, we couldn't find a vase in my house and I'm not sure New Community owns any traditional vases. And because I wanted to connect more with hipsters, I'm using this mason jar, all right? <laughs> so take, for example, this vessel filled halfway, right? You are this vessel made by God. And everything you do and everything you think and all the ways that you spend time take up a certain amount of room in this vessel like this. And God, in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite love, his unconditional grace and mercy for you wants to fill the remaining space with the knowledge of his will. So let's pause here for a moment, and I want you to bring out a piece of paper. You can use your phone if that's what you've got. And I want you to reflect back on your last week, okay? Maybe just even the last couple of days. And I want you to write down all of the ways that your life was filled filled with activities, filled with thoughts. What were the things that you did? What were the ways that you spent time? What did you think about over the last couple of days? Okay? Take two or three minutes and just start jotting words down. There was no trick to this activity. All right, should have been somewhat easy. <clears throat> it's just, how did you fill your life? What were the things you did? Now, look back at your list, and certainly there are inevitably things on it that just have to get done, right? Laundry needs to get done. Kids need to get taken to sports practices and school and all that kind of stuff, and work has to get accomplished. There are just things that have to get done in our life. But then there are certain things that we choose to do, right? Like I chose to watch an entire Netflix true crime documentary this last week, all right? So our life gets a little bit more filled. Maybe you worked a little bit later than you needed to in this last week. And so life gets a little bit more filled. Maybe you picked up the latest edition of Sports Illustrated, or maybe somewhere along the way in the week, you chose to check out Instagram. Now, none of these things are really bad in of themselves, but if your life is like anything like mine, then these items, these things, these ways we spend time can easily take up too much room. Now, I caution you from looking at your paper like I did when I did this exercise a few days ago and just justify them away as my need to decompress, my need to zone out, my need for a little healthy me time. Again, there might be some truth to that, 
But I think it's very, very important to ask yourself this question. Just how much of your life is filled with the non-essential and the unnecessary? Now, if we were to go a little deeper, and if we were a r- real honest, and we knew what we wrote down would never be seen by other people, I would guess that some of us spent time dwelling on things that are pretty destructive in our lives. Spending time replaying negative scripts in our minds fills the vessel a little more. Eating or drinking to escape emotional pain or allowing worry to control your decisions. Maybe protecting or projecting your fear or anger onto a loved one or seeking value through your work. Now, these things take up room. They will also slowly poison the entirety of the contents in the vessel. It doesn't take much to see that a vessel already filled to the brim has no room for anything else. Whether your time is frantically spent shuttling others around or your me time is spent on social media or you give too much mental energy to worry about things outside of your control, it all ends up taking space in our life. These are the things that fill our vessels. And if we are not careful, there is no room left for what Paul is praying for. Each of us as a created being has a unique and certain capacity, a level at which we can handle at any given time. And the instruction I believe we can glean from this verse is that if we can make room, if we can create space, God wants to fill our lives with the knowledge of his will. Since the lesson I learned on that Beyond trip, I've tried to incorporate into all of my other trips. And I can remain, uh, remember explaining this principle to my two older boys when we went on our first overnight backpacking trip. They were eight years old. I believe I have a picture coming up here. That's a terribly blurry picture, uh, but you can kind of make out people in there. Uh, I had concluded that all they really needed to carry was their essentials, a sleeping bag, a sleeping pad, a water bottle, and a change of clothes. They had concluded that they should bring multiple flashlights, stuffed animals, Legos, and Nerf guns. (laughs) And so out on the grass, I had laid out all of our community gear. For those who don't uh, enjoy the outdoors, Uh, or have ever been on a backpacking trip, there's something called community gear, and that's the gear that everybody uses. So pots and pans and stoves and food and all that kind of stuff, right? And you typically divvy it out so everybody kind of has an equal load in their backpack. I had already planned to carry it all, but I wanted to give a picture of the equipment that it takes for a trip like this. I wanted to 
help them to see that if they fill their backpacks all the way, then I am the one left carrying everything else. <clears throat> so hearing this little kind of illustration or picture that I'm giving, Theron, uh, which is my son in the middle, took out one of his Nerf guns from the bottom of his backpack and quickly grabbed a tube of chapstick that had fallen out of my backpack <laughs> and landed near our pile of gear. And with an incredibly large smile of achievement, exclaimed that I no longer needed to worry because he had room to carry the chapstick. <laughs> Regardless of where you feel you are at right now, my son illustrated that you have to start somewhere. You can start small. We all just need to be willing to make a little bit more space And the rest is up to God. The movement of God is real and active and constantly desiring to fill us. But unless we are creating the space in our lives, unless we are willing to let go of the non-essential and the unnecessary, unless we are willing to do the work, we will miss out on what God has for us. So if you want closeness with God, if you desire to better know his will, then take hope today in the truth that he will fill your life. All you need to do is create a little bit of space. Would you pray with me? God, we desire to be a people that is willing to reflect on our own lives, that is willing to do the work necessary to create space, that you help us to recognize the unnecessary, the non-essential, that you would give us the strength and the discipline to remove those things which we do not need. Help us to be a people that has space, that has room, and desires to be filled with the knowledge of your will. Move in that way, Spirit. We invite you into our lives in that way. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> Uh, up on the screen here is going to be uh, a set of questions. So you can take a look at these now. This is what I am encouraging you over the course of this week to think about. Everybody pull out your phones right now. This is how we do this here. It's totally fine. Take a photo. If you are in a small group, if you uh, do life with community outside of Sunday mornings, this might be a great series of questions to reflect on this week or a great series of questions to think through, to talk about, to wrestle with, with your community.